0: All right, I had to find my cheaters. All right, now, hey, there you are. All right. Please open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 36. We're going to begin in verse 7. Again, we left off last time talking about what it was to be uh, givers according to Jesus Christ, right? And how he does the work, how it was a free will offering. It was nothing that man could contrive or do. And how there was no pressure or anything like that it was wonderful, right? I, I don't know about you. I, I sat there afterwards and I was like, Lord, I just pray that your people were set free. That your people understood what godly giving looked like. That there wasn't supposed to be manipulation. It wasn't supposed to be anything like that. And that people went home and just said, you know what, Lord? I want to do it like God, like you say. Just free will. It's as you lead, Lord. Hilarious giving, right? So we left off with that and we saw that, that you know, and I, and I think this... This goes into our personal lives in the way that we live as well and the motives of our heart. Sometimes when we try to hold on to things in our lives and we try to micromanage, whether it's, and I'm not just talking, you know, money or anything, stuff or or, or things that you put in a place of, uh, you know, some type of prominent position. We can fight so hard to hold on to those things that it can consume us and and it's not something that we're doing because we're surrendered or released and therefore we're juggling and it, it can cause anxiety it can cause depression it can cause us to be overwhelmed and and it's it's it just really permeates our whole being and that's when i started to think about this and said lord you really want your children set free physically spiritually mentally that's why you called us and we sang it tonight surrendered all to you lord Because when we do that, everything is just simpler. Because ultimately, who's responsible? God. How are you going to pay the mortgage next month? God. How did you pay it last month? God. It's God. How does the the fellowship go on? Are we going to pay our bills next month? God. It's, It's no different. It's no different corporately, any different than it is in our own homes. And when we give it to God... Every month, every week, every day when it happens, we should have nothing but, thank, you know, Thanksgiving or, or thankfulness in our hearts. We can immediately wake up and immediately feel a sense of, thank you, Lord. My feet touch the ground. I'm breathing. I'm alive. I have, I have another day. I know, Lord, this. I have one more day to praise you. What was he doing here, Moses, as he was giving these commands to the Lord? What was God about to establish? His tabernacle, his tent. And what was the tent going to be used for? What, what did God position the tent? And, and he went through a lot to do this. He went through many days, many months actually, years, some say, to build this. What was it all about? His presence to be with us. That's right. God dwells with us. And this is what he was going to do. So we'll pick up here in verse 8 as they actually go through, now that they have everything, and and I love this. Moses said, stop bringing your stuff. We got enough. I pray someday we're in that position to say that. I pray to God he does it Because then we can look to other ministries. There's always things we can be doing for the work of the Lord. But, But at this point, Moses said, no, stop. Verse 8, that all the gifted artisans among them who worked on the tabernacle made 10 curtains woven of fine linen and of blue, purple, scarlet thread with artistic designs, cherubim, they made. Think about this. 3,500 years ago, this is. And they have the technology that way. They're building, they're sewing. How many people? I mean, we have a church of 2.5 million people, right? That's what Israel was. Roughly minus around 3,000 because of, obviously, those that didn't, Sided or rejected God. Moses had the Levites go through and they obviously destroyed them because of their hardness of heart and rejection because of the idolatry. So minus those 3,000 like that, you have roughly 2.5 million. Everybody's involved. Those that are gifted, those that are artisans, those that can make, those that can sew, those that can pull the cloth. Everybody's taking a part in doing the work of the Lord. But before they began to do this work, what was the first thing they did? What was it? They had a Shabbat. They had a rest, a relationship, right? Remember that? We read that in early on in verse 1 of chapter 35. Before they touched a lick of work, the first thing God had them do was come into right relationship and rest with him so that everybody knew who was leading and who was following. Right? Same way in our hearts, isn't it? God leads, we follow. So, He calls all these men. They all come together with their artistic designs. The length of each curtain was 28 cubits. You you might remember we've gone through this in chapters 25 through 31. So if you want details, and, and we exegete the details here, please go back. You can either see, you know, at the end, you can see Kevin in the back there or Dave or Preston, and they can give you an audio CD if you don't have an internet or you don't have a phone or anything like that. Or, you know, please see them. We're happy to just give you a CD. We want to get the Word of God in your hands. If you need that or if you're hearing this on the, the live stream or whatever and you, and you want a copy of that, you know, just call the church office. We'll, we'll, ha- we'll gladly mail you one. Um, but so I'm not going to go through all the incredible detail here. I'm going to be moving through this at a pretty fast pace because we've gone through this, and I've exegeted exactly what each one of these things sort of meant. Now we're just seeing it all pulled together, if I can say it that way. And he coupled five curtains to one another, and the other five curtains he coupled to another. He made loops of blue yarn in the edge of the curtain on the selvage of one set. Likewise, he did in the outer edge of the other curtain on the second set. 50 loops he made on one curtain and 50 loops he made on the edge of a curtain. And on the end of the second set, the loops had one curtain to another. So what is this? This is the tent of worship. What is he making? Look on your screens here, and we're going to have this come up in a moment. You're going to see this is the top. This is the top of the tabernacle. It's the curtain that's actually going to cover the tent. If you look up here and you see... You're able to see there's different layers of that and how there was multiple curtains. If you remember, we talked about it. Some were longer. It was two foot longer on ends, so they came down, not all the way to the ground, so that they didn't get ruined, wet, and damp, and would soak it up. But there's different lengths you can even see as they come down, but different materials. This is what we're talking about. They were building the top of that tabernacle there and the holies, holies, that happens to be, it looks like from here, a picture of the holy of holies there. But but through the whole thing, we're going to keep reading this. So it says, Uh, let's see, he said, 50 loops he made on one curtain, and 50 loops he made on the edge of the curtain, and on the other, see, I read this passage, I'm sorry, set the loops held on one curtain to another, and he made 50 clasps of gold, and coupled the curtains to one another with the clasps, that it might be one tabernacle. What he's talking about here, just to remind you again, is he's saying he took the, the clasps, and he took the piece that clasps on that, and what he did is he connected it, so that you have the length of this now that can then come over like a tent. Otherwise it would have been one sheet here, one sheet here, but you need something to connect it. So they made these rings of gold and they made these clasps and the clasps connected in on it, locked it in, and then it's what allowed it to drape over the tabernacle. That, that's what we're reading about right now. And it says that there were 50 clasps of gold. So he made curtains of goat's hair for the tent over the tabernacle and he made 11 curtains. The length of each curtain was 30 cubits. Remember a cubit's 18 inches, roughly. And the width of each curtain, four cubits. The 11 cubits were the same size. Or excuse me, 11 curtains were the same size. He coupled five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves, right? Now he's talking about how they're being coupled and connected ver- uh, horizontally and then vertically. So he's, he's describing the, the top covering here. This is what we see. And he made 50 loops of the edge of the curtain in the outermost in one set and 50 loops he made on the edge of the curtain of the uh, second set, He also made 50 bronze clasps to couple the tent together that it might be one. Then he made a covering for the tent of ram skids dyed red and a covering of badger skins above that. Can you imagine the guys that got the ram skins and the badger skins are like, yeah, we got that. I don't know if that's worth anything, but they're coming forward. They're like, we got a lot of ram skins. We got a lot of badger skins. Here you go. But I bet you they were were rejoicing because they had a part. They had a part in the worship. This is God's, you know, he, he does, the way he allows us to do worship is he doesn't turn around and use an object. He uses people. He always uses people. And it's through his people that worship happens. He works through his people. So I can imagine these people that, is, but did you ever think about this? Remember, this was a free will offering. What about those that had waited the Lord brought that to me today as I was thinking about so much we need to do. And I, a lot of times well, I, we want to pray and wait on the Lord. But what about those person that had the goat hair and had the skins and the dyed with red and the ram and all this? And they said, well, you know what? I'll do it tomorrow. Or I'll do it the next day. Or I'll go worship the next day. But then what did Moses say? Enough. Stop. I wonder what those souls felt like. They'd missed it they'd miss the opportunity to worship. For the tabernacle, he made boards of acacia wood standing upright, verse 21. The length of each board was 10 cubits and the width of each board, a cubit and a half. You can see the boards. If you look on the side, those are the boards that would have gone horizontally and vertically across. You can see them. That's where it would have gone like this to make the outer shell in which the actual curtain would have laid on. It would have laid on these boards that would have been laid, and they have dowels in each one that's going to connect them board to board. There's little dowels we're going to read about that connect them all like that. Some of you that are familiar with carpentry, it's amazing to think about this. 3,500 years ago, this was being done, and people wondered if they could have really built an ark. Oh, there was an ark. God designed it. I mean, it's amazing what we're seeing here, and this is that would have been closer to, what, 4,000-plus years ago. So it says in verse 22, each board had two tenons for binding one to another. Thus he made for all the boards of the tabernacle. And he made the boards for the tabernacle, 20 boards for the south side, 40 sockets of silver he made to go under the 20 boards, two sockets under each of the board for its two tenons. And for the other side of the tabernacle, the north side, he made 20 boards. And there, 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under each board. If you have a a picture of the entire uh, court, you should throw, sew that one as well so they can get the scale of this to just understand exactly how amazing this is. For the west side of the tabernacle, he made six boards. He also made two boards for the two back corners of the tabernacle and they were coupled at the bottom and coupled together at the top of the by one ring. Now granted, if you're looking at this, obviously this is a computer model of detail. It's not a picture of the, <laughs> the real tabernacle. I think we all get that, but I just want to, You know, I put it out there. But just to give you an idea of what we're looking at there. Thus he made both of them for the two corners. So there were eight boards and their sockets, 16 sockets of silver, two sockets under each of the boards. And he made bars of acacia wood, five for the boards on each side. So you had these boards going vertically and you have sockets like this that would have connected to each board. And then you're going to have poles of acacia wood that slides in them. So again, pitch your boards, pitch your little sockets, like a you know socket here, a socket here, and then pitch your sliding a pole of acacia wood through it, locking it all in, tying it all together that way. Uh, let's see, verse 26, I'm just going to go, I can't remember what verse and, and there were 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under each board. For the west side of the tabernacle, he made six boards. He made two boards, two back of the corners in the tabernacle. And they were coupled at the bottom and coupled together at the top by one ring. Thus he made both for them for the two corners. I think it was a lot farther down. <laughs> so they were eight boards in their sockets, 16 sockets of silver, two sockets under each board. And he made bars of acacia wood, five for the boards on the side of the tabernacle, five bars for the boards on the other side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the boards of the tabernacle on the far side westward. So all sides are covered. And he made the middle bar to pass through the boards from one end to the other. He overlaid the boards with gold. Just imagine that. The lampstand that we're going to read about that was placed in there, the table of showbread, you know, describing as typology the fellowship. So you you got this... Showbread right across from about a five foot high, we believe, lampstand made of pure gold. This light would have illuminated into this tabernacle area and everything's plated with gold. Gold. Just picture how it would have radiated like that. How beautiful. How beautiful is. And what was this a picture of? This was a pattern. Do you remember? This is a pattern when Moses was on Mount Sinai there and he was receiving the Decalogue and the Ten Commandments. This was a pattern. And it was, I believe, something that we will see something like that when we get to heaven. I believe we'll see something like this pattern. But we know even in the book of Revelation it tells us that that when the new heavens and new earth are made, that what will happen? That we'll see the same idea of light again because the walls are going to be refracting color because they're going to be almost having, you know, it says topaz and sapphire and, and the colors. But who's the light then? The lampstand, which speaks to what? You know, you think of the, the radiant of light, the light that can't be stopped. But now Jesus, he's going to light up the whole, there'll be no sun or moon that way. He's going to light up the new heavens and new earth. And it's going to be so magnificent. I don't know. I mean, take it in for a minute. We, we mostly take it in with our eyes. But just take it in for a moment. You just want to. I mean, that's our destiny, our eternal destiny with our Lord. It's going to be beautiful. And that's one sense. We didn't even talk about what we hear, what we smell, what we touch and taste. That wrecked you, didn't it? It's going to be awesome. God just, I think this is just as much as we can handle, you know, mentally that way. It's going to be so beautiful, so beautiful. So he tells us, he overlaid the boards with gold, made their rings of gold to be holders for the bars and overlaid the bars of gold. And he made a veil of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. It was worked with an artistic design of cherubim, right? Which is an exact replica of the angels. We know the cherubim, there's cherubim, and seraphim. He made for it four pillars of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold, with their hooks of gold. And he cast four sockets of silver for them. And he made a screen for the tabernacle, door of blue, purple scarlet thread, fine woven linen made of a weaver, and it's five pillars and their hooks, and he overlaid their capitals and their rings with gold, but their five circ- five sockets were bronze. Again, we talked about what all of this meant in detail, so please go back to, if you weren't with us, please go back and get the, the teachings on that. It's also up on the website as well. All this so that God could dwell among men. All of this for that. Then Baziel made the ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits was its length, a cubit and a half its width, and a cubit and a half its height. This is the ark of the covenant, right? This is what we're reading about here. He overlaid it with pure gold inside and out and made a molding of gold all around. And he cast it for it, four rings of gold to be set in four corners, two rings on each side and two rings on the other side. I don't know if you have anything, as, as we begin to look at the furniture, if you have anything that shows a close-up, right? Maybe you can see it in the picture there. Um, I'm not sure if you can see it or not for the Ark of the, the, the Covenant that way. He made poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. And he put the poles into the rings at the sides of the Ark to bear the Ark. In other words, this is how the men, the priests, were to lift the Ark. Remember, no man was to touch this. We read in the Bible that a man did touch it, and what happened? He died. God's pretty serious about what he says. He's always very serious. He was doing it to protect them. And he made, according, you know, according to this, he made ways that they could carry it. He also made the mercy seat where God would dwell, right? That's where God's presence would dwell. Of pure gold, two and a half cubits was its length and a cubit and a half its width. He made two cherubim of beaten gold. He made them of one piece at the two ends of the mercy seat. One cherub at the one end on the, sorry, one cherub at one end on this side and the other cherub at the other end of the side. Basically, the two cherubim facing each other, one on one end and one on the other uh, of the mercy seat here is what we see. The cherubim spread out their wings above and covered the mercy seat with their wings. They faced one another. The faces of the cherubim were towards the mercy seat. And now we're going to read about the table of showbread, which speaks about Israel's fellowship with God. He made the table of acacia wood. Two cubits was its length, a cubit its width, and a cubit and a half its height. And he overlaid it with pure gold, and made a molding of gold all around it. Also, he made a frame of handbreadth all around it, and made a molding of gold for the frame all around it. And he cast for it four rings of gold, and put the rings on the four corners that were its four legs. The rings were close to the frame as he as holders for the poles to bear the table. And he made the poles of acacia wood to bear the table and overlaid them with gold. He made up pure he made pure gold, he made of pure gold the utensils which were on the table, its dishes, its cups, its bowls, and its pitchers for pouring. And now we're going to read about the golden lampstand, the light that's going to fill this tent. He also made a lampstand of pure gold, again. What's interesting is the folks in Israel, and I talked, I talked about this when I was sharing it or teaching it the first time. It's five feet, right? And the width of this we're going to read about, they cannot re- reproduce it the exact way today. With all our modern technology, with all our intelligence and brilliance that we supposedly have now, we can't reproduce this in the same way. The gold is so soft, being 24 karat or even 18, that it can't bear its own weight because as they try to form it with the gold, and as they go to extend it, because of the pure weight of it, it begins to collapse on itself. What God did here was purely miraculous. It was truly miraculous. So what they've done instead, if, you, if you're interested, they actually have taken and put iron underneath it and then go, and then wrapped it in gold around it. And they're building this because we know, as you remember from the prophecy update that I went through uh, maybe a month ago, so, when we did the prophecy teaching, we went through and we talked about Ezekiel 38 and the rebuilt temple. There's no temple right now in Israel, is there? Well, there's going to be a rebuilt temple someday. I'm not sure if the church will be here for that or not, or whether it will be raptured out or apostled out. I'm not sure, but in that temple, there are Jews right now in Israel already building the utensils, the implements, everything you're reading right here. They have gone back to great detail and are putting together and as we go through Leviticus and Numbers and we start to go through that, you look at the ceremonial practices, all of it, they're putting together today. You know, they're looking for the hair of the red heifer, for example. They're, they're looking for all these things because they know that when Ezekiel's temple, when that Ezekiel 38 temple is rebuilt, that the daily sacrifice will go forward again. That's one of the reasons I, I'm not so sure we're here. Because I believe it's the end of the church age. I could be wrong. Again, it's not thus saith the Lord. But we don't need the daily sacrifice, do we? Because Jesus Christ is our atonement, right? The blood of Christ is our atonement. But for those that don't know Christ, for those that aren't under the new covenant that way, what will they do? Well, uh, what are the Jews doing today, so to speak? They're, tr- they're trying to keep the ceremonial practices. They try to keep Yom Kippur. We, we ought to pray for our brothers and sisters in Israel, right? Think about this, and this is something hopefully that will cause you to really want to pray for our brothers and sisters in Israel. According to the law, and we're going to go through the ceremonial practices, we're going to spend a lot of time in Leviticus going through the pre Very important book. I mean, it's one of, the, over 40 times in the New Testament, there are quotes specifically going back to Leviticus. You look in Hebrews. Hebrews itself can't be understood as a book, inspired, without going to Leviticus because the passages that interpret and tell us what exactly what it means come from Leviticus that way. It's. An, I can't wait to study this book with you. I think some of you are like, Leviticus, come on. No, We when, you, when we go line by line through, there's a lot of meat on that bone. I think some of you are going to be very surprised what maybe the Lord shows us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Well, as you look at that low, I believe that It's possible that we're obviously not going to, or I should say, I believe we're not going to be here, so they're going to go through that process. But as I was saying, in Israel, part of Yom Kippur was the transfer of the sin, and one of the things they had to do is take a a hair, the red heifer, the hair of the red heifer, and it was part of that Yom Kippur ceremony. But they don't have it. So if they can't follow the law according to the law, and they're placing themselves under the law, what happens? What happens? dead in our sins and trespasses. That's why we really need to have a heart for Israel. We need, this matters. We need to understand this because this is our history as well. I know many of us are Gentiles here. Some of us may be Jewish too, but but this is our history. This is important to us because when we go up to our brothers and sisters in in, in Israel or we go up to our Jewish friends and we want to share this with them, we need that common ground. We can look at them and say, look, I understand, but if you thought about this, You don't have the red heifer. You're not actually keeping the law. What's saving you right now? And they might turn and say, well, what saves you? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. Do do you see how apologetically the Lord can open that door? This is important. That's why we don't skip a jot or tittle. And again, I know for some of you, this is review. We went through it through chapters 25 to 31, but that's why we're going through it again. We need to understand it. It's important so much so that God preserved it for us. So remind me what passage in verse I'm on, somebody. 17, 17, thank you. And six branches came out of its side, three branches of the lampstand out of one side and three branches of the lampstand out of the other. Other side there were three bowls made like almond blossoms on one branch with an ornamental knob and a flower and three bowls made like almond blossoms on the other branch with an ornamental knob and a flower. And so for the six branches coming out of the lampstand, And on the lampstand itself were four bowls made like almond blossoms, each with its ornamental knob and flower. If you can picture this in your mind's eye, I don't know if we have a a picture right up there. You can see it on the left-hand side there. The table of showbread on your right-hand side. The Holy of Holies that would proceed. If I'm not mistaken, it's 15 feet from the exact point, we'll we'll read it again in a moment, but it's 15 feet after you enter the tabernacle like that, 15 feet to the curtain or the door of the Holy of Holies, and then 15 feet from the door of the Holy of Holies, if I'm not mistaken, uh, all the way to the back uh, wall of that tabernacle. It's a cube. It's a cube. It's a perfect cube, the way God designed it. There was a knob under the first two branches, the same knob under the second, Two branches of the same, and a knob under the third two branches of the same, according to the six branches. You guys are looking, like, what knob? What branches? That's why I'm glad we have a picture. <laughs> their knobs and their branches were of one piece. All of it was one hammered piece of gold. That's the part right there. Verse 22 cannot reproduce it today. One piece. Think about that. Any of you artists in here? Anybody in here ever try to do something? One piece of gold, one piece of hammered gold like that, that has to be fashioned in this way. You can't solder it. You can't join it and reinforce it that way. It has to be one piece that's constructed like that and built out of it. And he made it seven lamps, its wicks, it wick trimmers, and its trays of pure gold. Of a talent of pure gold, he made it with all its utensils. He made the incense altar of acacia wood. Its length was a cubit and its width a cubit. It was a square and two cubits was its height. Its horns were of one piece with it and he overlaid it with pure gold. Its top, its sides and all around and its horns. He also made it for a molding of gold all around it. He made two rings of gold for it under its molding by its two corners on both sides as holders for the poles which were to bear it. And he made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. He also made the holy anointing oil. Again, we know what the holy oil always represents. It's the typology for the Holy Spirit, right? And the pure incense of sweet spices according to the work of the perfumer. Chapter 38. You guys hanging with me? All right. He made the altar of burnt offering of acacia wood. Five cubits was its length and five cubits its width. It was a square and the height was three cubits. He made its horns on it in four corners. The horns were of one piece with it, and he overlaid it with bronze. He made all the utensils for the altar, the pans, the shovels, the basins, the forks, and the fire pans, and all the utensils he made of bronze. He made a grate of bronze network for the altar. Again, I'm going to pause here in verse 4 just to, you understand what he's talking. If you've ever seen a footer or a mesh footer, picture like rebar. Uh, the best way I can explain it to you. Picture rebar, 12 inches on center. So pieces of rebar, maybe number four, number five rebar, like this vertically, okay? And then you go horizontally across it every 12 inches. It forms a grid, like tic-tac-toe, right? For some of you gamers out there, tic-tac-toe. Picture this, lay it down on the very bottom. That's what happened, and that's what they would put the animal on that they were going to be sacrificing, and the burnt stuff would all fall, and it wouldn't fall through. If you've ever camped or had a campfire and you're cooking stuff on an open fire, it can be consumed pretty quickly that way and things fall apart. I don't know how else to say it. This was a mechanism to keep it together, okay? As long as it was, you know... So he made a grate of bronze network under the altar it's rim midway from the bottom he cast four rings on the corners of the bronze grating as holders for the poles obviously so they could pull it up and sweep the ash out and then drop it back down and he made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with bronze then he put the poles into the rings on the sides of the altar with which it bear it with which to bear it excuse me he made all the altar hollow with its boards can you imagine moving all of this They had to construct this and deconstruct, you know, take it apart. Every time the pillar moved like that, the cloud moved. Every time it moved, all right, pack it up. Let's go and reassemble it again. Wow, faithfulness, constant reminder of God's presence. You know, what reminds you of the Lord today? Hopefully you tell me it's the Bible you have in your hands, that every day you pick this up and you carry it all the places you go. Hopefully that's your reminder. So he made a laver of bronze and its base of bronze from the bronze mirrors. Again, this is, I I don't know if you saw that. Did you catch that, ladies? Bronze mirrors, ladies, did you catch that? Of the serving women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle meeting. That's beautiful. What that's talking about is ladies, even back then, they had mirrors, right? But they weren't mirrors like we would use today that have beautiful reflection. They were cloudy. They, They were not very you know, not very uh, reflective that way. But what this tells us is that, when, remember when we were talking about in chapters 35 and 36 that people were bringing forward objects from, you know, which to worship God as they were giving however they could? What we see here is women, many of the women, remember, it's, women had a, a part in this sacrifice, a part in this worship. They were giving what they could. Some of these women brought their mirrors. They brought their mirrors like that, and they had given it for God for worship and it was serving the women assembled at the door of the tabernacle meeting. There were women serving. Sometimes people say, well, in the Old Testament, where did women serve? Well, right here, we see it. Men and women served. Different orals, different offices, but men and women worship God. We worship together that way. That's like what we do here when we raise our hands and sing. We worship. We don't, okay, guys over here, women. No. We worship God. It's beautiful. So now we're going to look at the making of the of the, of the court of the tabernacle here. We're going to look at some of the different materials. Then he made the court of the on the south side, so you can kind of zoom out of this and go more to the court there, Kevin, if you wouldn't mind. The hangings of the court were of fine woven linen, 100 cubits long. There were 20 pillars for them with 20 bronze sockets. The hooks of the pillars and their bands were silver. On the north side, the hangings were 100 cubits long, with twenty pillars and the twenty bronze sockets, the hooks of the pillars and their bands were silver. On the west side there were hangings of fifty cubits, with ten pillars and their ten sockets, and the hooks of the pillars and the bands were silver. For the east side the hangings were fifty cubits. The hangings of one side of the gate were fifteen cubits long, with three with their three pillars and their three sockets, and the same for the other side of the court gate. On this side, and that there were and their were hangings of 15 cubits with their three pillars and their three sockets. All the hangings of the court all around were of fine woven linen. The sockets for the pillars were bronze, the hooks of the pillars and their bands were silver, and the overlay of their capital was silver. That's the ornamental on the top and the bottom. And all the pillars of the court had bands of silver, and the screen of the gate of the court was woven of a blue "'Purple and scarlet thread of fine woven linen.' The length of it was 20 cubits, and the height along its width was five cubits corresponding to the hangings of the cord. And there were four pillars with their four sockets of bronze. Their hooks were silver. Their overlay of the capitals and their bands were silver. And the pegs of the tabernacle and the cord all around them were bronze. What are we talking about? You see that gate, that I'm going to call it a gate, the fence going all the way around it. That's what we're talking about right now. We're talking about all the instruments and everything that's inside that utensils. We just went through them. But now, all the way alongside, you have this, uh, for better word or lack of word, you know, the court area of this tabernacle, and they still had to make all tapestry for that, fine linens. They made that. It wasn't, you know, like they just took mesh wire. They went through incredible detail, incredible reverence. It was gorgeous and precious. So now we're going to take an inventory of um, sort of the, the, hum, the humanity aspect of this as we look at the Levites here, and we're kind of moving into verses 21 through, through 31 here. This is the inventory of the tabernacle, the tabernacle of the covenant or the testimony, which was counted according to the commandments of Moses for the service of the Levites by the hand of Ithmar, the son of Aaron the priest. He was the youngest, if you remember. He's, he was Aaron's youngest son, Ithmar. Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, made all that the Lord had commanded Moses. And with him was Elab, the son of Issamach, the tribe of Dan, an engraver and designer, a weaver of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and a fine linen. Do you remember early on when God said that he was putting his spirit into these men and that he would create them as gifted artisans? Where God leads, he equips. That's for all of us here tonight. Wherever God's leading any one of you here, whatever you do, wherever God's got you serving, working, wherever your ministry is, you're all in ministry. We're all in ministry. Wherever God's got you, he's equipping you for what you're doing. And if you ever get to the point where, Lord, I don't understand. What am I to do? You just wait on the Lord. God is going to equip you. And most of the time, as we saw with Moses, or we've seen with other prophets, and we'll continue to read, he always Not always, most of the time he uses what you already had and didn't even realize. I think of the rod of Aaron, right? Moses' rod like that got thrown down, turned into a snake or serpent that way, right? Think of the prophets and how, was there something significant? David, right? David, when he had to fight Goliath, right, the giant, did he turn around and say, David, I'm going to help you create a whole new weapon altogether." What did David do when he was bored and he was shepherding and he was watching the sheep? And if a lion or, you know, some type of animal was going to come and attack the sheep, what did he do? He grabbed his slingshot and he, and it's not the kind of slingshots that you pull, you know, it was the, you know, the kind like this. And he would, you basically take almost like a handkerchief and a rock in it. And he would take it like this, like a handkerchief and he would sling it. That's why they got the name slingshot compared to what we see modern. It wasn't like the, the pinch thing. So they would do this. It was a true slingshot. What did God use to defeat Goliath? What David had already had in his possession. What's he going to use to the work he's calling you to? He's already equipped you. Wait on the Lord. Be encouraged. All the gold that was used in all the work of the holy place, that is the gold of the offering, he's reminding us that this all came from the community of believers. This was all done because God had given them, well, God had commanded Moses to say, hey, if the Lord leads, you know, we're going to be building the tabernacle, God's going to dwell in it. If you have a desire to be part of this, come forward. That, that's what happened. It was free will, right? Literally, we see over here, when you add all this up, over a ton of gold. All the gold that was used in all of the holy place, that is the gold of the offering, was 29 talents and 730 shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary. That's over one ton of gold. Now we're going to look at uh, verses 25 through really almost 28. Four tons of silver. And the silver from those who were numbered of the congregation was 100 talents and 1,775 shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A Becca for each man that is half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary for everyone included in the numbering from twenty years old and above for six hundred and three thousand and five hundred and fifty men. Now we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about that because that's awesome. And I'm, it's written in scripture, two different places. We're going to go back and look at that. And from the hundred talents of silver, there were cast sockets of, sorry. (laughs) And from the hundred talents of silver were cast the sockets of the sanctuary and the bases of the veil. One hundred sockets from the hundred talents, one talent for each socket. Then from the 1,775 shekels, he made hooks for the pillars overlaid their capitals and made the bands for them. Now, Okay, so let's look here back at chapter 30, verses 11 through 16. Turn turn back with me, please, a few chapters here. Chapter 30, 11 through 16. Do you remember when Moses, well, God had commanded, he spoke to Moses, commanding this idea that every child, every, you know, when he takes a census, everyone does bring forward a certain amount of money. We'll, we'll read it again just to refresh, because... It's amazing to see what God was already doing. He was going to provide, and they, they didn't even understand how it was going to be used, but God was already showing this for them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, and every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord when, the, when you number them, and there will be no plague among them when you number them. This is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give, a half shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is 20 geras. The half shekel shall be an offering to the Lord, right? Kind of speaking of similar to Peter's temple tax, this is where it came from. It was the redemption money. It was the redemption money. Everyone included among you, those who are numbered from 20 years older and above shall give to the offering of the Lord. The rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less than a half a shekel. When you give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves, rich, poor, the same, it doesn't matter, right? So you you looked at that there. And it's interesting because it goes through and it's talking about this. But then also look at Numbers, chapter 1, verse 46. Turning your Bibles pretty quickly to Numbers. Numbers chapter 1, verse 46. You all beat me there? Look at verse 46. All who were numbered, so we're told what the census data was. Remember it says he took a census? So what was the census data? What, what was the no, total number count there? Well, it tells us right here. All who were numbered were 603,550, right? And we already read that in verse 26 above. So I'm just showing you. It's, it's paralleling. It's, it's a confirmed account. So here's what's interesting about this. If you took 603,550, which are those 20 years or older, and each one bought a half shekel, like it was called according to the census, you would end up exactly with a half ton of bronze when you do the math. The exact amount that when you add up what we see here in verses 29 through 31, the exact amount that God said he required. God had already planned this, but not only did he plan it, but he had already provided for it. If God can do that on this magnificent scale, can he not do the very thing in our lives? If we're in this place where we're like, Lord, how are you going to do this? This is bigger than what I can understand. Lord, how are you going to provide? What's going to happen? I I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Our God can provide. Our our God is never caught off guard. He's never surprised. Our God can always provide. That encourages me. The offering of the bronze was 70 talents, 2,400 shekels, And with that, he made the sockets of the door of the tabernacle meeting, the bronze altar, the bronze grating for it, and all the utensils for the altar, the sockets for the court all around, the bases for the court gate, all the pegs for the tabernacle, and all the pegs for the court all around. Now we're going to go into chapter 39, which would have corresponded to chapter 28. I don't know, I don't know, gang. We might make it. I don't know. Of the blue, purple, and scarlet thread, they made garments of ministry for ministering in the holy place and made the holy garments of Aaron as the Lord had commanded Moses. So he's going to talk about the apron. Remember, that would have been sort of all the way down, kind of right by the calves there. He made the ephod of gold, purple, sorry, gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and of fine linen. And they beat the gold into thin sheets and cut it into threads to work in it it in with the blue, purple, scarlet thread and the fine linen into artistic. That sounds awesome, I I wish I could see. I can't wait to go to the video library in heaven and check that out. They made shoulder straps for it to couple it together. It was coupled together and it's two edges. And the intricacy woven band of his ephod was, it, was on it, and it was the same workmanship, woven of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, of fine woven linen, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And they said, onyx stones enclosed in settings of gold, and they were engraved as signets are engraved, with the names of the sons of Israel. He put them on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel, as the Lord had commanded. He wanted to make sure that the Levitical priesthood, Aaron and his sons, as they were serving that they would never forget why they serve and who they serve. They serve the people. May under shepherds and pastors never forget we are servants first and always servants. We're to be chief servants. And he made the breastplate artistically woven like the workmanship of the ephod, of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread into the and linen. They made the breastplate square by doubling it, and its span in length and a span in width. They went and doubled. And they set it on four rows of stones, a row of sardius and topaz, an emerald was the first row, and the second row a turquoise, sapphire, and a diamond, the third row a jacinth, a gate, and an amorous, the fourth row a beryl, onyx, and jasper. They were enclosed in the settings of gold in the mornings. Forgive me, I know I'm reading quick. Again, go back and listen to the teachings in chapters 25 to 31. There were 12 stones according to the names of the sons of Israel, according to their names, engraved like a signet, each one with its own name according to the 12 tribes and they made chains for the breastplate at the ends, like the braided cords of pure gold. They also made two settings of gold and two gold rings and put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate, and they put on two braided chains of gold and two rings on the ends of the breastplate. The two ends of the two braided chains they fastened into two settings and put them on the shoulder straps of the ephod in the front and they made two rings of gold and put them on the two ends of the breastplate and the edge of it, which was on the inward side of the ephod, they made two other gold rings and put them on the two shoulder straps underneath the ephod toward its front, right at the seam above the intricately woven band of the ephod. What we're talking about is a strap that goes like this. You have a front piece, three rows of four across. Yeah, I got that right. Three rows of four across, making 12. Same thing going across the back, and you have a woven band connecting the two, kind of like you'd put it on like this, okay? Because I know that just didn't help. And they, and they bound the breastplate by means of its rings with the rings of the ephod with blue cords so it would be above the intricately woven band of the ephod, and the breastplate would not come loose from the ephod as the Lord had commanded, so they could move around and they didn't have to worry about this thing falling off. He made the robe of the ephod of woven work of blue. Now remember, when they, were, when they were given this pattern, what was Aaron doing at this point? He was making golden calf and worshiping an idol. Just think about that for a minute. As God was going through all this detail for us. But our God is a God of second chances. Don't you love that about our Lord? Call out to him. If there's something going on in your life and you've backslidden or something's off, call out to him. He's willing to forgive. He wants right relationship. And there was an opening in the middle of the robe, like the opening of a coat of mail with a woven building all around, binding all around the opening so they would not tear. They made of the hem of the robe a pomegranates a blue-purple scarlet, and of fine woven linen, and they made the bells of pure gold and put the bells between the pomegranates on the hem of the robe, all around it between the pomegranates, a bell on the pomegranate, a bell on the pomegranate, a bell on the pomegranate, and all around the hem of the robe to minister in as the Lord had commanded Moses. So you could probably hear him walking around, right? They got these little things as they're walking around. You'd hear them, right? They also tied a bell as the the high priest once a year would go in. You know what also is striking? Moses commanded all this because God had commanded him. They're going through and building all this. When they're done, Moses can't even go in to the tabernacle he just built that way because he's not the priest. Did you ever think of that? Lord, this is absolutely beautiful. Great job, boys. Well, I just can I just have a peek? You know, I mean, you can't. He couldn't go in. Things that come to me, I don't know. I pray for you often that you have to deal with me. <laughs> Verse 26 of my aunt or 27. Twenty-seven. They made tunics artistically woven of fine linen for Aaron and his sons, a turban of fine linen, exquisite hats of fine linen, short trousers of fine woven linen. I'm sure they'd appreciate that. And a sash of fine woven linen with blue, purple, and scarlet thread made by a weaver as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then they made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote on its inscription, like the engraving of the signet, holiness to the Lord. Is that written and tattooed on your heart? Holiness to the Lord. So they would have had a turban, basically, and it would have been written right on it. And they tied it to a blue cord to fasten it above on the turban as the Lord had commanded Moses. Thus, all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished, and the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So they did. I love love to see the obedience that way. And they brought the tabernacle to Moses the tent, and all its furnishings, its claps, its boards, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, the covering, the ram skin dyed red, the covering of the badger skin, and the veil of the covering. Sorry, I need to take a breath. The ark of the testimony with its poles, the mercy seat, the table, and all its utensils, and showbread, the pure gold lampstand with all its lamps, the lamps set in order, all its utensils, Utensils and the oil for the light, the gold altar, the anointing altar, and the sweet incense, the screen for the tabernacle door, the bronze altar, its grate of bronze, its poles, its utensils, the laver with its base, the hangings of the court, its pillars, its sockets, the screen of the, gate of the court gate, its cords, its pegs, its utensils for the service of the tabernacle, for the tent of meeting, and the garments of ministry. To minister in the holy place, the holy garment of Aaron, the priest, his son's garments to minister as priests. Here we see Moses approves, right? According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, we see it again. So the children of Israel did all the work. Then Moses looked all over all the the work, and indeed they had done it. Can you imagine at that moment how sweet that would have been? We experience that every time we do the will of God. I believe it's a spiritual high five happening. You know, God looking down on us, he's given us commandments and statutes. No, we're not under the law. But he has set a course for each and every one of our lives. Do we walk in it? Even when it's difficult, even when it's not comfortable. God desires obedience more than sacrifice. For Samuel 15, God desires mercy more than sacrifice. So he looks over it all and he's just blessed by it and Moses blessed them. It's beautiful obedience there. I often wondered if Israel could just remember this as they went on the wanderings, as they would have those moments where they would, they would doubt and those moments where they would fall into idolatry, if they could just remember the unity, walking in the presence of God, working together for a common goal. And what was that goal? Yes, it was building a tabernacle, but what was the point, the presence of God to be with them? What were they doing? They were building. It was all about bringing glory to God. It was all about worshiping God. And that's what the rest of the book of the Leviticus is going to look at, worship. So here, we're in the home stretch, you Guys, hang in there with me. We'll get through this chapter. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, chapter 40, saying, on the first day of the first month, you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. Right? We see three parts. We see the physical arrangement. We see the... Um, the way, I guess you might say, the way he's going to pull it together and the way the priests are going to come together, the the, 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 I guess the building of it is he's, he's pulling it all together and it's all going to be set up in its place. So on the first day of the first month, you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, right? This is about one year after. If you just do the math and dating, this is about a year after the exodus, after they've come out and been delivered out of Egypt. You shall put it in the ark of the testimony, what are they talking about? What should you put in there? It's the word. It was the Decalogue. It was the two tablets of stone that Moses was given by God. And all the partition of, and partition off the Ark of the Veil, and they shall bring the table and arrange all the things that are to be set in order on it. And you can see it in that other picture we had up a moment ago. And you shall bring in the lampstand on the left and the showbread on the right there. the light in its lamps, and you shall also set the altar of gold for the incense before the ark of the testimony and put up a screen at the door of the tabernacle so people could not see in. Then you shall set the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and you shall set the laver uh, between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and put water in it. That was where they were to go and cleanse themselves and sanctify themselves to priests before they went in to the Lord. You shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen of the court gate this so is kind of working his way out. You see, he's kind of backing his way out of the tabernacle that way. And you shall take the atoning oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that's in it. And you shall hollow it and its utensils, and it shall be holy. It's a pattern of what was in heaven. It was holy. You shall anoint the altar of the burned offerings and its utensils and consecrate the altar. The altar shall be most holy. You shall not the laver and its base and consecrate consecrated. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle meeting and wash them with water. You shall put the holy garments on Aaron and anoint him and consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest. Who is he to minister to? God. Who are we to minister to? Isn't it say, I think it's in Hebrews, that we're a peculiar people, that we're, we're a people like that together. We're an interesting people. But what are we to do? We're to be... We're a holy priesthood? Isn't that what? Isn't that what the Bible says? We see both things. You never see that in the Old Testament. You'll never see the holiness in, in regards to priesthood, okay? Right? And then what else? What's the difference? You're a holy priesthood. You're a, well, you're a peculiar people, but do you remember the passage? We're gonna have to go to Hebrews in a minute. No, what he's talking about how is normally you're a king. You're you're you know you're a king and you're a priest. We don't see it through anywhere in the Old Testament where you're a king and a priest. David, I think, rather would have rather have been a what? A priest rather than a king, actually. Right? But we see you were either a king or you were a priest. A king couldn't go in to the temple like that and 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 take sacrifices and do that. A, a king couldn't do that. Only a priest could. But in this He says, we're that. Under the new covenant, you and I, we are kings and priests because of Christ. So when we read this and we're ministers, this is, we are all priests. That's why I say we're the pastor. men. you're the pastor of your home. We're priests that way. We're, we're We're to worship ladies. You're to worship your Lord. You're to minister that way to God. You minister to him. And you shall bring his sons and clothe them with tunics. You shall anoint them as you anointed the father that they may minister to me as priests for their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout throughout their generations. Then Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded him, so he did. Seven different times we're going to see him say that in the remainder of this chapter. The Lord had commanded him. The Lord had commanded him. He did everything that the Lord had commanded him. We're going to keep seeing that. You can see it already down in verses 19, verses 21, verses 23, verses 25, verses 26, verses 29, verses 32. There's the seven. If it's repeated, you think it's important? God desires obedience. He wants us to be obedient that way. And it came to pass in the first month of the second year. So just picture that, right? It's the second year now. It's taken him a while to assemble all this, to put everything together. The first day of the month that the tabernacle was raised up. So Moses raised up the tabernacle, fastened its sockets, set up its boards, put its bars and raised up its pillars and spread out the tent over the tabernacle and put the coverings on the tent top of it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony, right, or the, the covenant, the decalogue there, and he put it into the ark inserted the poles through the rings of the ark and put the mercy seat on the top of the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and hung up the veil and covering with a partition off the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. This is the Holy of Holies, the veil that we talk about when it says Jesus Christ tore that veil. Now granted, it was in a temple at that time, but this is the veil that no one could enter into the Holy of Holies that way. Nobody could enter into the presence of the Father that way. But through the covenant in Jesus Christ, because the shed blood was was paid that way for our sins. We're blood-bought. We can enter into the holies and the holies. We can press in as far to God our Father as we want. These men could only go to that outer, or excuse me, that inner uh, veil. They couldn't go past it. They could go through the first veil to get into the tabernacle if they were a priest. To care for the showbread, to put that out, to trim the wicks and on the lampstand and what have you. But only once a year, could they go into that Holy of Holies only once a year and only the high priest could do it. God set the term of how far and how close they could come into his presence. Under the new covenant, he eradicated that. He says, you come as close as you want. My son has paved and paved the way. You come as close as you want. I love that. Aren't you glad we have the new covenant? How close do you want to press into God It's up to you. It's not like the old covenant. It's the new covenant. You determine how much you want to press in. I've often wondered as we meet Jesus face to face, you know, what will he say? I mean, obviously we want him to hear well done and good and faithful servant. But will we have that moment where you and I, if we've been spending time with God, we look i mean obviously we're going to worship but we go i knew you're exactly what i i knew you'd look like exactly what you're exactly what i thought cuz i spent so much time with you you're beautiful you're so beautiful because i spent so much time on my knees in prayer in your presence and I experienced your glory. I, I you know you allowed your Shekinah glory to shine upon me. you allowed me to experience that, and it never fades because when I want more, unlike Moses, where his, the glory of God after he left that mountain began to fade, and he put up a veil so that put people couldn't see that glory fade, we can go into the presence of God anytime we want as often as we want, and it never fades. We never have to worry about it, uh, you know, running low, man. Or or are you going to have that experience when you see him? You're not who I thought you were. I know I said, Lord, Lord. He said something about that in the gospel. He said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I did not know you. It's heavy, right? It's heavy. Only God can be your judge that way. I'm not. I'm just encouraging you. If you're not pressing into Jesus, press into Jesus. Amen? He wouldn't have given us all this and given us this description and given us this if he didn't want us to take advantage of the fact that that veil is torn and torn for good that we can go in anytime we want. It's significant. It's everything. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through the Son. And we have the assurance of salvation. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. We know that we know. Hmm. He put... The table and the table of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle in the outer veil, the table showbread, and he set the board bread in order upon it, excuse me, before the Lord, and the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tabernacle of meeting across from the table as you see it there on the south side of the tabernacle, and, the, and he lit the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded. It the very last time Moses will do this. Very last time. And he put the gold on the altar in the tabernacle meeting in front of the veil, the incense, and he burned sweet incense on it. As the Lord had commanded Moses, he hung up the screen at the door of the tabernacle, probably saying, Lord, I know I won't be able to do this, and I'll never smell this smell again. I'll never see with my eyes the brilliance of the reflection of this light. God, thank you for calling me. Thank you for allowing me to serve. God, I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave your presence, Lord. And he put the altar of burning, a burnt offering before the door, right? The brazen altar. The tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and offered upon it the burnt offerings and the grain offerings in the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the lever between the tabernacle meeting and the altar, and he put water there for washing. Those were the mirrors. Remember, we talked about the mirrors that were used. These mirrors were used to make this laver, this area of cleansing. And Moses and Aaron and his sons would wash their hands and their feet with the water from it. Whenever they went into the tabernacle meeting and they came near the altar, they washed as the Lord had commanded. Again, obedience, repeating it. Nineteen times, actually. Seven times just in this passage, but 19 times in this whole Chapters 36 and on, I think it was. And he raised up the court all around the tabernacle, the altar, and hung up the screen of the court gate so Moses finished the work. So what, how do we respond to this, right? When we begin to, to look at this, it says, then the cloud, the dwelling of God with his people, the cloud covered the tabernacle meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Symbolic of the Lord's presence, whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward on all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. Don't you long for that time again. You know, today, Lord, am I in your will? God, am I, you know, I have these decisions to make. I don't know, Lord. I'm afraid to make a mistake. God, I don't want to be out of your will. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And to be able to physically see that cloud move and know, okay, Lord, it's time to move. And then when it comes to stop and rest, okay, Lord, it's time to stop and rest. We're going to have that again. When we're in heaven and Jesus is in our presence, and I do believe we'll have jobs in heaven. I don't think we're just going to sit around and you know twiddle our thumbs. I do believe we'll have godly jobs in heaven just as we did in the garden before sin entered the garden Adam had a job Eve had a job I do believe we'll have wonderful jobs like that serving, worshipping, praising also but to think when Jesus moves that we'll be able to be in his presence that we'll be able to be hand in hand again like it was in the garden I know all of us here if you're a born again believer in Christ I know we long for that We long for that desperately. And most people can't understand that. They can't understand how we desire, how we close our eyes and we just can envision, Lord, please now, Lord, Maranatha, Lord, Jesus, come. You know, they look at us, what's wrong with you? Where where do you want to go? I just want to be with Jesus. I was created to be with Jesus. You were created to be with Jesus. We were created for fellowship with God. We were created to worship him. This is not normal. This was not our normal habitat outside of the presence of God. It was only because sin entered into humanity that we were separated from God. And if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, we would never have had that right relationship or been able to be brought back into the presence of God that way. And the Holy Spirit is given to us now as what it says in the Bible, as a down payment of our assurance that he will finish the work in us. And I I can't help but reading this and thinking, Lord, as I can imagine Moses being there, he was up on the mountain with you, God, while he saw your back passing by, while he experienced your glory, so much so that it shown on his face that he came came away different. He was never the same. When you're with God and you have that kind of presence, you're never the same. If you're sitting here tonight and you're a born-again believer, you don't know what I am talking about. You need to go to your prayer closet. You need to get on your knees. You need to open your Bible. And you need to read. And you need to let Jesus speak to you. You need to close your eyes and then Listen. You need to wait on the Lord for his presence. Is the cloud of glory of God dwelling about wherever you are in your prayer closet? Is he resting there? Is he welcome into your home? Is he welcome into your life? This was all about the presence of God. For the, chlor, for the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and a fire was over it by night. In the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all the journey, I am so grateful for that fire at night. I am so grateful when I can call out to God and say, Lord, are you there? God, I, I'm afraid. I, I don't know. Are, are you there? Sometimes we just need that encouragement, we just need that assurance. I'm with you. And God had given it to Israel. And he gives it to us today too through his son Jesus Christ who's living in our hearts if we're born again believers. Are you dwelling with God? How does the culture respond to this? What are we to do today? Are we to look at this and say, well, that was 35 years ago. What's the message that Moses received at the end. It was obedience. It was well done. Well done, Moses. You did what the Lord commanded you to do. Did you blow it a couple times? Yeah. Did you live a perfect life? No. Murdered a man? Did some other things? Delayed? Lacked faith at times? Frayed? Hey, can anybody here relate to that? anybody relate to that here? Well, good. And you're in the right presence. You're in the, you're in the right place. You're with the Lord. Amen, right? Let's stand and close our prayer. Go ahead and read her ahead of uh, Leviticus. We'll probably get through a few verses because I'll start with our traditional introduction to the book. For those that might have been visiting tonight, if this is your first time here, we don't normally read through three chapters at a clip. I think most people are surprised we got through three chapters. Uh, Normally it's, you know, 20 verses if the Lord should lead like that. Normally we don't get that far. (laughs) Um, A book of deliverance. I know it's late. I know some of you are thinking, man, I got to go to work in the morning. I I want you know, I'm going to stay up front here. I'm going to have the elders come up front, Dave and Steve and, you know, I know Bill's upstairs, but if you need prayer, if you need prayer for deliverance, if there's something going on in your life that you're like, Lord, I just need help. Don't walk out of here tonight without getting prayer. People that pray together are people that stay together in unity. Let's pray right now. Father God, we come before you, Lord Jesus. We do thank you, God. Lord, thank you for your deliverance. Thank you through your son, Jesus Christ, we have been delivered. We're not under the law, Lord. We're not under the old covenant. God, you fulfilled the old and you gave us a new one. A new one that's based on relationship. A new covenant that's not based on works. Lord, a new covenant that's not based on convenience. God, thank you for the way you stretch us here tonight. Lord, I imagine as as we just read, um, Lord, even sort of at a quick pace. God, I know you moved on hearts tonight. Lord, I I, I trust that, Lord, those that needed to hear and needed application again, Lord, from this, Lord, I know that you moved on hearts tonight. God, I pray those that need prayer, those that need help, Lord, they'll come forward. They won't be proud, but they'll come together in humility and we'll pray, Jesus. We'll seek you will wait on you and your presence will fall upon us just as it always has in your word lord give us that supernatural rest tonight as we get out of here a little later than normal give us that supernatural rest give us travel mercies home when our heads hit the pillow let us wake up so rejuvenated tomorrow lord that we felt like we've slept 20 hours and we're ready to go for you jesus Have your way in us, Lord. We are your surrendered people. We pray this in your name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people prayed. Amen. God bless you all. I love you all. Get home safe.